YouTube grew users in the US during the pandemic while most other social sites stood still. We break down the numbers and we give you a perspective on Disney Plus's revenue contribution to the company's bottom line. Listen on to hear more. This week's podcast. I'm Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media at the top. Hey, Colin, how's everything? I'm doing really well, Will, and I'm really excited this week. Last week, we hinted that there was going to be a big announcement this week, and we do indeed have a big announcement about the podcast. So, why don't you tell us what's going on? Yeah, we're very pleased to share with our listeners that we are doing a rebrand of our end screen media video news podcast and we've been obviously podcasting together now for quite some time and have uh, enjoyed our work hopefully our listeners have enjoyed our work we want to try to unify our brand and unify our work a little bit more we've always prided ourselves on bringing our listeners an insider's view of streaming video so we're pleased to announce the new name of our weekly podcast which we're calling Inside the Stream. So welcome to Inside the Stream, Colin. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Yeah, I'm really, really happy to be here. It's, uh, it's gonna take a little bit of logistics on your part, the listener. Um, we are, since we're changing the podcast brand, you're gonna have to go grab the, the new podcast in your podcast managers. Now, the good news is Inside the Stream is already available on popular podcast managers like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Podcast Addict, Spotify, and probably on on many others. So while you're thinking about it, why don't you just pop into your podcast manager and grab Inside the Stream, search on that. Um, And by the way, if that doesn't work, try searching without any spaces between Inside the Stream and hopefully that will work, but it should work uh, just using that phrase. Uh, And go ahead and add it to your podcast manager. And by the way, don't delete Endscreen Media podcast uh, podcast app if you've if you've added that to your podcast app. I'm still going to be releasing stuff that I think you'll find interesting through there. Uh, so there we go. Inside yeah. the stream, will inside the stream. Yeah, and I, I should add that we know this will be a transition for our listeners, so we're going to keep posting the content of our podcast in our existing and our prior feeds as well for several weeks, Colin. So we'll be doing them as sort of duplicate or maybe even in triplicate for several weeks. And then we'll cut over uh, at some point soon to just posting inside the stream, our, our podcast content to inside the stream. So um, we're excited about it. And hopefully our listeners are as well. We're going to be adding a new curation feature at the beginning of each podcast where we talk briefly about two or three industry stories that caught our attention and why. We're going to be trying to add some more guest interviews with um, industry executives, which we've wanted to do for a while. So we have that to look forward to. And we're also pleased to announce the uh, and thank our sponsor for this week's inaugural edition of Inside the Stream, and that is Verizon Media. And more than 10,000 of the world's largest media companies trust Verizon Media to truly connect with viewers. Learn why at vz.media slash Verizon Stream 21. And we'll include a link 
to, we'll include that link with our podcast posting as well, Will. Now, let's get on with our first new feature, which is uh, we're going to spend a few minutes just curate, curating, telling you about a couple of stories that we think that were important, that we're not going to discuss in detail, but we think you sh- will be worth your time. Uh, to go check out and the first one i want to mention is godzilla versus king kong this was widely discussed in the press this week and uh, both streaming uh, providers and theater providers are claiming success um the theater providers are pointing to the 285 million that it earned in theaters in the first weekend 45 million of which was in the u.s and they're saying that this is evidence that people want to come back to theaters they also say that this proves that there's no way that day and date will survive. And the other big stat there that I thought was interesting was that uh, Real Good says that it's two or three million users, I think it's two million users, 8% of the streams over the weekend that the people streamed inside of Real Good were the movie Godzilla vs. King Kong. So they're pointing at that as a big success for HBO Max. Um, and of course, this is a pivotal strategy for HBO Max because they are using their first run movies to try and get new subscribers to the service. So that's why I think that's an important piece. Will, do you have something? I do, but real quick, have you watched it yet? I haven't. I planned to watch it last weekend, <laughs> but but I got sidetracked on a whole bunch of other, other stuff. So maybe this weekend. Every time I open HBO Max, there it is prominently displayed. So it's not necessarily my genre, but I'm probably going to take a look at it. But um, what did catch my attention this week is that um, the new show with John, John Stewart's new show on Apple TV Plus has a name. It's going to be called The Problem with John Stewart. And the Hollywood Reporter reported on this, and it looks like the format is going to be uh, one issue per episode that Stewart's going to dive into, and uh, it's going to very much focus on current affairs. Uh, they did not get into any of the specific issues that it would follow, but the speculation was that it would touch on issues that are currently part of the national conversation, as uh, the Hollywood Reporter put it, to ones that are part of Stewart's advocacy work. So um, we don't know a lot yet, but it's supposed to premiere this fall on Apple TV Plus. And I have to say that I just watched my first show. I just completed my first show on Apple TV Plus this week. We binge watched Terror which actually I thought was very good, sort of Fauda meets Homeland, which I enjoy. Congratulations. I think this is pretty important for Apple TV Plus. As, as you know, I think uh, it's, it's struggled a little bit to get recognition as a, as a mainstream service by, by everybody. And I think there's a lot of worries that it's going to lose a lot of subscribers as they roll off of their free trial. Uh, so this will be a big, uh, a big boon, I think, for them to have Jon Stewart exclusively on the platform. So that's, yeah. uh, that's really interesting. Uh, and one other story that I wanted to mention before, before we get on with our main stories today is that there was a report that eMarketer is forecasting that Pluto TV's U.S. ad revenue is going to top $1 billion by 2022. Uh, Now, as as you know, uh, Pluto TV is a virtual linear provider. It uh, has a bunch of linear streams, uh, linear, linear channels, and it places advertising in those channels. And anyway, eMarketer seems to think that it has a very bright future and is forecasting is $1 billion. So just to give you a little bit of context, NBCU 
generates about $2 billion of advertising from its channels, both cable and broadcast, each quarter. Uh, so $1 billion in, uh, I think that will be a pretty big achievement for Pluto TV if it's able to hit that in 2022, Will. I agree. Uh, Pluto shaping up to be a, looking like a very good acquisition by, by Viacom CBS. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so that's our quick summary of some stories we think you should take a look at. And by the way, why don't you let us know if that, this is a useful feature to us, so if there's something else we should be doing, or if there's a story that we missed. So now let's get on to some of our feature stories. And you wrote a piece, Will, which I thought was pretty interesting, on some new Pew data about social media. And there was one social site in particular that stuck out, right? Yeah, absolutely, Colin. So this week, Pew Research Center released its new social media use in 2021 survey, and it found that YouTube is used by 81% of U.S. adults, and that's actually up eight percentage points from the 73% usage level that Pew found for YouTube just two years ago in 2019. Also noteworthy is that all of the other social platforms that Pew looked at, uh, none of them experienced a statistically significant increase in usage from 2019 to 2021, except Reddit, which increased from 11% to 18%. And also it's worth noting that YouTube continues to just absolutely dominate the social media landscape with that 81% usage, Facebook is the second most popular at 69%, and there's no other site, no other platform that gets more than 50% usage. And just to understand YouTube's dominance a little bit further, uh, it really spans gender, race, age, income, education, and geography, and I think really speaks to why YouTube has become so popular, so attractive to advertisers as well. So a few quick stats, YouTube is used by 95% of 18 to 29 year olds and 91% of 30 to 49 year olds. Uh, Those are of course both highly coveted um, age groups by advertisers. It's also used by 90% of those with incomes of $75,000 per year or higher. And it's used by 89% of college grads or above. And only Facebook is, again, in second place, uh, is behind YouTube, but YouTube is well ahead of it. And the only category, actually, where any social platform comes close to uh, YouTube is among 18 to 49-year-olds, where Instagram and Snapchat have 71% and 65% usage rates, respectively. So this, I thought, this Pew research was really interesting in once again demonstrating how dominant YouTube is. And of course, it's really not fair to think of YouTube only as a social platform. Um, So that sort of helps to explain why its usage is so much higher. YouTube is also the biggest video uploading site, of course. It's the number two search engine. It's also a music streaming service. It's also a juggernaut in mobile and connected TV. And it's actually, I think in the past year or two, become a pretty big e-commerce lead generator because uh, they talked about how in Q4, the most popular ad format was the direct response ad unit, which 
is directly, um, you know, meant to be directly a an e-commerce lead generator. And then, of course, YouTube is increasingly a source of professional content, and that's what we'll be hearing about a lot more at its Brandcast Newfront presentation on May 4th. So uh, all of that, I've been very bullish on YouTube for a while, as our I think our loyal listeners and loyal video news readers know. I've been very bullish. I think YouTube is the, the biggest deal, best deal that Google ever made. That $1.6 billion acquisition price looks really, really uh, small by comparison to what YouTube has become. And the Pew data really helped substantiate that, I think. What's your take? Yeah, I, I, I agree, Will. It's, it's pretty surprising. And, you know, one of the really surprising things to me was that most of the usage of social media was pretty much flat in 2020. And that really sort of, I, I would not have expected that. I would have expected to see a big spike in usage and maybe that that, that actually pushed people to use social media more. Uh, than they had been before, just because you know they, they had more time and they were spending a lot more time on devices. What that really tells me is that well, maybe Facebook and 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 the rest really aren't connecting as strongly with people as they had been in the past. And that actually, what people did spend a lot of their time doing was streaming, and that's why YouTube remained strong. That's why we saw such a big boon in the use of the fast fast services. Um, and I will say there's one exception, and they didn't mention this in the Pew, Pew data, and I guess there was no reason to, but Facebook Watch. I was really surprised in TiVo's numbers, Facebook Watch was among the most used uh, of, the, of the sites that they covered there. They were looking at Pluto TV, the Roku channel, and it looks like Facebook Watch was used more by more people than all of those. So I think it was, I think they said 17% of respondents were using Facebook Watch. So that, that's the big story there. But that, that to me is really surprising. I would have expected to see a big increase in usage of the social sites during, uh, during the lockdown period. And apparently that didn't happen. Or if it happened, it came and it went and people have really moved on again. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Pew really highlighted was that the usage for most of these social sites has kind of leveled off. And um, if you look at Facebook in particular at the Pew graphic, it is really, if you go all the way back to 2016, it's almost a straight line in terms of the percentage of uh, adults that are using Facebook. It's almost locked right in there at between basically 68 and 70% over the past five years came in at 69% in 21, um, in Q1 of 21. And, uh, you know, I think um, within that, of course, is the Facebook Watch viewership that you just described. But overall, YouTube just continues to dominate. And once you get past Facebook, as I said before, there's there's no other platform that's really north of 40%. That's Instagram is 40%. There's nobody, it's 50% or more. So it's really those two sites. Um, so yeah, so that was the Pew take. I don't know if you have anything else on that, or if you if we should move I, on to our next topic. I guess I guess my my last comment on this was I don't know if you remember maybe ten years ago now um, there was a lot of discussion about Facebook catching up to YouTube in terms of video plays, and they were playing you know lots of games where they would auto play the video, so as you scroll past it would start playing, and I think there's obviously still doing that with the with the volume muted. Well, it really seems to that that has, 
flattened out as well, it sounds like. And a lot of the viewing time has really focused now on Facebook Watch and it isn't turning out to be quite such a great video platform as as maybe they had thought and at least it's peaked and it won't catch up to YouTube because YouTube seems still to be the dominant platform. And in fact, it seems to be more dom dominant than it was before. Um, as we know, YouTube, I think we talked about YouTube a couple of weeks ago and uh, one of the things that was very clear was that YouTube was becoming a major force in connected television yep. as well. And uh, certainly that seems to be a really major feature. They're capturing a lot of the advertising dollars now that are going through through connected TVs to, um, uh, to video ads rather that are going through connected TVs to reach consumers. And that's a big growth market for them. Um, now, Facebook Watch does seem to be participating here, but it seems to be a much, much smaller player than YouTube in that market. I think that's right, Colin. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. I'm looking forward to the Brandcast event uh, presentation coming up in a few weeks. I'm sure they'll have some more updates in terms of usage to announce at that point. But we also wanted to just keep one eye on the time. I know you also want to talk about Disney Plus, and you had an updated forecast that you wanted to share and dispel some numbers that were floating around the Internet this week as well. Yeah, um, I, I took a look at Disney Plus uh, from the point of view of revenue generation, Will, because I saw a report that showed up in Cool Cutter News, and there was the claim that Disney Plus would be earning $1 billion a month for Disney by July, this July, July 2021. And that really caught my eye because I was kind of surprised because that sounded a little bit high. Now, I know Disney Plus has hit 100 million subscribers worldwide. And so I so I jumped in to see what was going on with that forecast. And basically, the forecast was that Disney Plus would hit 125 million subscribers by, 20, uh, by July. And it looks like what they did was they multiplied that 125 million by the $8 a month that it costs here. And that's how they got the billion. Um, so I guess that was the first thing that, that uh, didn't seem to be right to me because when you look at Disney's financial filings, Disney says the average revenue it is earning per subscriber today is $4, $4.03. So the reason it's so much lower is, of course, because Disney's got all of these offers where you can sign up for a year for a discounted price. It's much cheaper in foreign markets than it is here so that really tends to pull down the ARPU. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that means that in if they achieve 125 million worldwide subscribers by 2021 July, they'll only be earning half a billion a month in revenue, and that's a worldwide number. And actually, I think that that's fairly likely that they will be successful in hitting 125 million will. That seems pretty reasonable based on the growth rate that they've been experiencing so far. Although I have to say, maybe maybe not, because we are moving into the summer season. We are moving out of lockdown. Yeah, uh, We're getting our vaccines. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe the growth for Disney is going to slow down. What do you think? I think it is going to slow down, Colin. Yes, I think you just put your finger on it between weather and post-pandemic. Uh, it's hard to believe that the growth rate is going to continue the same, at least in the markets where it's been available longest, like the U.S., yeah. So I wanted to get a perspective on if that was meaningful revenue. And 
the short answer is it's not really meaningful revenue to Disney yet, even on a worldwide basis. So I took a look at uh, Disney, uh, Disney Plus and ESPN, looked at their revenue and looked at the revenue that uh, that was being earned by ESPN, ESPN2, Disney Channel, Disney Junior, and Disney XD. Uh, and this is just the program programmer license fees that they receive. And if you add those all up, they're already earning $1.2 just in the U.S. a month in license fees from those TV channels. And that, of course, doesn't even include the ad the ads that are in those channels so i don't know if that doubles it or not but it certainly makes it a lot more than than the 1.2 billion so truth is that disney's still earning an awful lot of money from its linear tv channels and uh i don't think that you know you might you might conclude from that well is is them putting all of this effort behind disney plus really worth it uh and the answer is, I think, yes, it is. I think we all recognize that this is something that Disney must do and is doing. Um, and I, I will say it's a, it is a risky strategy. We should recognize that there is no guarantee that Disney will be earning the same amount of money if everybody were to switch to Disney Plus in the near future as they are through the traditional pay television systems there's no guarantee that that will be the same uh, will be as much but that said we can see what's going on and i think disney can see what's going on so i think it is the right it is the right direction but you know nobody's expecting big revenue i think from disney plus right now that's not what it's about it's about growing subscribers and so the fact that it's not producing meaningful revenue for the company yet I think that's that's no big deal and nobody's going to gig Disney for that. Well, to be clear, it is it's it's still a significant amount of revenue. It's just that I think your larger point is that, you know, the Walt Disney Company is a, a gigantic corporation and that it takes quite some time before even a service with 100 million monthly subscribers as Disney Plus is going to 125 million. It takes some time before that can make a dent in a uh, corporations overall revenue uh, that's as big as um, the Walt Disney Company but I think we have obviously no dispute with the fact that this is the right strategy the direct consumer strategy is the right strategy and it's been executed really really well uh, by Disney but of course you know to your point it's very much balancing the legacy the traditional TV model which is still very lucrative and very sizable for Disney as it is for all the other traditional uh, TV network companies in the industry uh, while they're trying to get started in direct consumer as well. So that's the great balancing act that they're all trying to pull off. And it remains to be seen what consumers do, uh, whether this drives more cord cutting or whether it stabilizes, what percentage maybe takes a streaming service because they're super fans alongside with a traditional pay TV service how it all shakes out. The other thing I think that's virtually guaranteed, and we've already seen it from Disney Plus, is that rates will go up over time. So they've already instituted the first dollar per month increase. And just like Netflix has done every, what, 18 months or two years, like clockwork, the rates will continue going up. I think that's absolutely true. Well, I think that was the one big takeaway from all my, all my ponderings and my analysis that Disney Plus ain't gonna stay 
$8 forever. It's going to go up in price and I would expect to see regular price increases as they start loading up the content in there. Just like YouTube TV did not stay at $35 a month, which we... <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. We and, and Hulu with live TV, as we both remember those low price prices fondly that are long since gone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well, Colin, we covered a ton of ground here on our first Inside the Stream podcast. So I hope our listeners have really enjoyed this and enjoy the new format. We're very much open to listeners' feedback on what they think, how we can improve inside, excuse me, inside the stream as we go forward. But what do you think? Good start? I think it was a great start. Really enjoyed it and looking forward to hearing what people have to say. And don't forget to add us to your podcast manager. And I just want to thank, say thanks again to Verizon Media for sponsoring this episode. They are connecting people to their passions with delivery, streaming, security, and the future of edge computing solutions that help brands reach their goals and future-proof their business. To learn more, visit vz.media forward slash Verizon Stream 21, and we include a link to that with our podcast postings. All right, thanks, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening in, and we'll see you all again next week. Bye.